0: Forge family. Today we begin our study in the book of the Ephesians with an introduction. Uh, We recently covered a bit of this material when we were uh, in the same introduction to 1 Timothy. Timothy was ministering to the house churches in Ephesians. Um, And at that time I shared that Ephesus was located on the western edge of Asia Minor a couple of miles inland from the Aegean Sea and upstream a few miles from the port of Miletus. Ephesus was called the mother city for the region simply because of its uh, trade, its politics, and the, the religious influence that it had throughout the province. In that city, the Romans had placed a proconsul, which was you know, uh, a governing presence, for Rome as well as there was the seat in Ephesus of the Greek Confederacy for all of Asia. The population at Paul's time, if you include all the markets and villages around the outside of the city walls, might have run as many as 200,000 people. Ephesus was the leading city in the richest region of the Roman Empire, and at that time only Alexandria and Rome were bigger. The city was multi-ethnic and cosmopolitan. There are ethnic people from all over Asia Minor, from way to the north by the Black Sea, all the way down to, the, to uh, Tarsus, etc. cetera. Uh, there's, there's many different ethnic groups and tribal kinds of things, and they, uh, numbers of them gra- um, gravitated toward settled in Ephesus, as well as Romans, Roman soldiers, Roman citizens that decided, ooh, I want to live there and do business there uh, or retire there. Ephesus had maybe uh, 15 to 20% of its uh, 200,000 soul population were Jewish. So 10,000, 20,000, something like that. There are many uh, many temples, many forms of worship. There are at least 50 temples, uh, and they were um, erected for Artemis, Aphrodite, Athena, Sibylle, Demeter, Hestia, Hestiabulaya, Hecti, Tyche, and Isis, all, you know, all of which had their respective temples. And then there was also a temple for the worship of the Roman emperor. <clears throat> of all of them, the temple of Artemis was the one that was the most elegant and sumptuous, if you will. Um, it, ha- it was surrounded by these marble columns and was four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. Uh, twice a week, her image was removed from the temple and marched through the city. You know, it was it was a big idol, big idolatry thing, but they did it twice a week. Her temple was the banking center uh, for the city. Her prophet, her priestesses, excuse me, of, of Artemis, they doubled as sacred prostitutes. Her image appeared on coins. A month of the year was named after her, and she was seen as the protector and guardian of the city. Surrounding that temple was the sanctuary zone. I mentioned before that criminals could come in proximity to the temple of Artemis or Diana, and they were safe. Artemis was a so-called benevolent deity. She was portrayed as a virgin goddess, a huntress, and a fertility deity. She was acclaimed as the Queen of Heaven. And that term has popped up then all the way forward in history to this day. Okay. But she was also called lord and savior with the same words in greek that would be spoken of of jesus christ she was told uh it was told of us that she could wield power in the nether region, regions of earth underground on terra firma and in the heavens now the population was primarily animist in its beliefs uh, and uh, they they were they feared cosmic spirits underworld spirits and terrestrial spirits. They were really afraid of getting cursed. okay? Artemis was seen as a defender of her followers. of the existing statues that have been excavated. Artemis wore the signs of the zodiac around her neck. And from the waist down is depicted in kind of a tight skirt that hosts images uh, or carved images anyway on the statue of various animals that have frightening visages on them. <clears throat> her, tor- her torso is, uh, is often depicted as being many-breasted. I mean, you just look and you go, whoa, what is that sort of thing? And early, early scholars uh, tagged it as a fertility goddess identity. More recently, Sarah Morris, who is uh, the Steinmetz Professor of Classical Archaeology at UCLA, has published a number of articles on her studies into the Hittite, ancient Hittite culture. And in that culture, the torso of, of the gods and goddesses were covered with small sewn leather bags, which were believed to be filled with magical fetishes. <clears throat> that would make some small sacks a precursor for the magic known to be part of Artemis' influence. Now, we don't know what those are. We're speculating both ways, okay? But that's the most recent I could find about that. Now, some of you have heard or seen about the medicine bags that Native Americans wore. And in those, in those medicine bags, there would have been fetishes, f- feathers, arrowheads, minerals, stones, things that were precious to them, private to them, but in each case they were designed to go to war against spirits in the sky, spirits on the earth, and spirits under the earth. If you recall when Paul was teaching in Ephesus uh, and his teaching at the school of Tyrannus began to have an influence on the culture of the city and the whole of Asia Minor, uh Acts 19 records that the converts to Christ began bringing their magic books and their fetishes and their magic supplies and piled them up and burnt them. And it's Luke, uh, author of the book of Acts, who gives us the number that it was $50,000 worth of a pile that got burnt. Now, the ministry of Reinhard Bonnke in Africa featured pretty much the same sort of thing, where he would put burn barrels at the front close to the platform off to the side and converts to Christ would uh, both new and old would come under the conviction of Holy Spirit and they would put in their fetishes, their witchcraft op- uh, options, their portal objects, anything that the witch doctor had impressed on them or had given them and they were tossed into those barrels to burn Now that was the scene recorded in Acts 19. the city of Ephesus, had a reputation in the ancient world as a place where magic was regularly practiced, and openly so, okay? In the first century, and then m- too much later, there's clear records that there were curses and blessings being passed back and forth. You'd hear them and you'd go, whoa, don't put that on me, man, you know, etc. okay? And then um, there are various curse tablets and amulets that have been um, excavated uh, by the archeologists, one form of Judaism in Western Asia Minor, which is where Ephesus was located, could be called folk Judaism, in that it showed strong beliefs in angels, evil spirits, and they used all kinds of folk remedies uh, to uh, to deal with uh, their syncretist beliefs of how do I deal with that scary stuff in uh, in tw- in the year two thousand. Uh, Ben, Darren and I went into Argentina for ministry and it was a bit of a miasma, spiritual miasma because the Catholic Church had been um, shown to be utterly unreliable because they backed former juntas and they kept saying that the government was right and the government kept lying and saying we're winning the wars and said which was all a lie and so um, the people didn't know what to worship so they turned to santeria which is a a, um, a form of wicked worship, but it was a, it was done in Catholic churches to different gods yeah, to Umbanda and to Makumba, which were African in, in its resources so there, there was this spiritual um, miasma that we had to walk through in Argentina in many of the same ways that was part of the the miasma in, in Ephesus because of the, all these spiritual expressions which were demonic in nature. So when Paul walked in in AD 52 to Ephesus on his third missionary journey, um, he began to present the risen Messiah to the, to the Jewish community in their synagogues. And he was largely rejected. There were some converts, yes, but largely the Jews didn't want anything to do with the message about a risen Messiah. And so he shifted his teaching to the school of Tyrannus. And for two years, he taught and made disciples. And those disciples that he taught were the ones who went to the far corners of Asia Minor, taking the message of the risen Christ. And so over the course of the period of two years, all in Asia, heard at least, they were exposed to, this is who Jesus is. This is what he accomplished. This is what God did in raising him from the dead. Sorry, I couldn't hear what you said. Um, now it is um, it is known that when Paul uh, was coming back f- uh, from being in Macedonia, uh, collected a an offering for the people, for the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem that were suffering, he was he and others were hand carrying an offering, and he came through the port of Miletus down the down the the river, uh, and he called to the elders over the churches, the leaders over the churches in Ephesus to come and meet him in the port. And they did, and at that time, he warned them of the false teachers that were going to rise out of the churches in Ephesus. And subsequently, he repeats that warning and instruction to Timothy. Um, He then passed on to Jerusalem. He was captured and, and ultimately sent to Rome after years in Caesarea. Uh, to appeal to Caesar, he was under house arrest. While he was under house arrest, he wrote the epistle to the Ephesians, the epistle to the Colossians, and the letter to Philemon. Um, it's known as the prison epistles. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and he sent those three letters at the same time with Tychicus, and, who delivered them to the, the house churches at Ephesus, and the house churches in Colossae, and then he walked in the door to Philemon and said, This is from Paul. <clears throat> um, later, Paul returns to Ephesus after his release, the first time from prison, from how from house arrest. He goes through Ephesus. He doesn't stop. He goes through Ephesus to Colossae. He comes back into Ephesus, and at that time we know he laid hands on timothy and said you're going to be the leader over the house churches here in ephesus passed on from there to macedonia and and was taken into custody transferred to rome and, and was martyred a couple of years later the epistle to the ephesians is the least personal of all his letters he didn't name anybody in the whole text all his other texts you know you remember phoebe remember you know Epaphroditus. Remember, you know he, he would spool off some names of faithful ones. There are none. Of, there's none of that in the book of Ephesians. And so it is believed that he, what he wrote was a circular letter that would start in Ephesus, be copied, and then passed on to house church networks all over south, south north whatever all over the 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 landmass the region of Asia Minor. Evangelical scholars view the book of Ephesians as the queen of epistles just because of the elegance of the language and the doctrine and the encouragements. Uh, The first half of the letter deals with revelation and doctrine, and the second half deals with practice. Now, there's other teachers that have broken Ephesus, the book of of Ephesians, excuse me, into three parts. Um, It sounded something under the title of Wealth, Walk, and Warfare. Or as Watchman Nee says, sit, walk, stand. And Kent Hughes is a pastor I am enjoying reading. As just his some of his teaching on Ephesians. It's really fun. It's fun. It's a fun read. Blesses me. And he has a heart summary for us for the book of Ephesians. And he says, Ephesians, carefully, reverently, prayerfully considered, will change your lives. See, it's not so much a question of what we will do with the epistle, but what it will do with us. Let's pray. Lord of all, of the heavens, of the earth, what's under the earth, we turn to you as we begin this study and invite you into our midst. We long for your presence. We long for the power of God, Paul displayed in mighty miracles at Ephesus. And we set ourselves to listen to you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.